be looking in Ephesians chapter 4 today and uh, kind of talk about a spiritual grown-up, a spiritual grown-up, Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself. In love. And may God bless the reading of His Word today as my prayer. You may be seated. We've been in a series of messages for some time now called the Christian Vocation. And the Christian Vocation, job, calling, <laughs> adventure, uh, is clearly defined for us in this passage, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring working very hard with great attention and diligence to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, the reason why this is something we have to work at uh, is that the divisions, the divisions that exist in our world and our culture are a constant threat because they can push their, their way into the church and, and we then can become divided over the same issues that divide our culture. And that's happening in many churches and denominations across the United States today. And so it's possible that the division that is outside the church could come to the inside. But then it is also possible, and in fact just as likely, uh, that we may encounter difficulties that arise from within. Now Paul would call for a meeting, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he would call for a meeting of these same elders, leaders of the church, on his way to Jerusalem. He did not know everything that was going to happen to him there, but he knew that bonds awaited him there because prophet after prophet had warned him. And in fact, he would say to these men when he brought them together at Miletus in Acts chapter 20, he said, uh, I go bound in the Spirit. That is, it's already in my heart. It's as if it was already there uh, because he knew that was what was to come. He would tell them that they would probably never see him again. And so to the elders, the leaders of this church, this same church at Ephesus, uh, he gives a very sobering charge in Acts chapter 20. He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you. That's the threat from without, not sparing the flock. Also, of your own selves shall men arise that's the threat from within. Speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. The ravenous hungry wolves will kill sheep indiscriminately. Their goal is simple. They want to destroy uh, the churches of the living God. Uh, the opinion of these wolves on the outside has never changed throughout all our history. Churches have been a target of persecution. And the, the more that we stand on the truth of God, the bigger a target we become. And uh, that's happening in our world today. It's, uh, it's never going to change until Jesus comes and puts an end to it. But Paul also warned of those who would speak perverse things. The word is distorted. Uh, that is, there might be a measure of truth in what they have to say, but they are saying it of a wrong motive and are therefore twisting uh, the meaning around. 
Sometimes that refers to things and matters of truth, and Paul would warn them about this in this passage. Uh, but very seldom, in my experience as a pastor, have I seen this division take place in churches over matters of truth. It does happen. Uh, it does happen. I, I've, I've seen people get sideways and crossways because they didn't agree on some matter of Scripture or did not agree in matters of doctrine and practice. I have seen that. Uh, but more, than all, more often, it is exactly what seems to be being described in this text. Men would rise up and try to draw disciples after them. Uh, there's some difference, some difference of opinion. I often hear this trivialized where they're talking about the color of a carpet. But now listen, how many times does churches buy carpet? I mean, let's get real. Uh, that's really not what it usually is. It's usually personalities. Personalities. Oftentimes it's personalities, people in leadership. Uh, somebody likes them, somebody doesn't. Uh, someone else maybe wants to be in leadership who's not. And, and, and these issues happen. They, they just have differences, difference in how to go forward, how to move forward, and how does it play out? Well, uh, people start, it's not, we're not content uh, just to leave the division where it is, uh, but we seem just compelled, <laughs> and this is the flesh in us, uh, to try to spread it to other people and recruit as many people over to our way of thinking, whatever that is, or someone else's way of thinking, that men rise up within the church, people rise up within the church, speaking perverse, divisive, distorted things, and try to draw people to themselves. Paul warned the church at Ephesus about both sides of this, the threat from without and also the threat from within. John the Apostle would write about the same thing toward the end of the first century, and many Bible scholars, I'm not telling you today that I know this for sure, I'm just saying many Bible scholars believe that John was writing this to this same church primarily, the church at Ephesus. And he would say in verse 9 of John, uh, 3 John, verse 9, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deed, which he does, prating against us with devices or, or malicious words, and not content with that, he does, himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Uh, this was a mess, very messy situation. And churches sometimes get messy. So against that possibility, on both sides, then Paul uh, gives the elders, the church at Ephesus, this instruction in verse 31. He said, therefore, watch, uh, that is, be on uh, alert, uh, be warned, watch, remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. For three years, Paul had warned them about that potential. Not because division was actively breaking out in the church. They just needed to be aware that it's always a possibility. It can happen. And so for three years, he labored night and day. He taught them publicly and from house to house, he would say in that same passage. And now, brethren, he said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. He told them already, feed the flock of God. Feed the flock of God. You preach the truth. You teach people the truth. Because it is the grace of God and the word of God that is going to enable us to stand strong against all of these threats to the unity of the faith. 
and the bond of peace. We need to be well-fed people, a well-fed church. And if that sounds familiar, it should, because it's the very words that I read to you a few moments ago in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body uh, joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The passage then projects our thinking into the application of the body of Christ. And in this text, it is of the local church body, the church at Ephesus, and by projection to our church even today. There are times when the figure of the body, the body of Christ, is used in reference to the believer's union with Christ. And as such, every believer is in Christ and has Christ in us and is a part then of Jesus Christ and a part of His body. But the application of that truth is to the local church. Inevitably, every time that the Bible starts making the application, it does so about our spiritual giftedness as it does in this passage. And it speaks of how that we as a local church composed of different members with different talents and abilities are working together as a church body. Thus, it is the church that's called to be a spiritually grown-up church. The whole body, where Christ is the head, and the whole body, the whole church, is growing up into Him. You know, the church as a body is not static. It does not stay the same. As such, it is much like the human body which this passage compares it to. While I am speaking this very sentence to you, our body will be replacing about 50 million cells. While I said that, your body replaced about, 50, so did mine, about 50 million cells. Some of them we're real familiar with. We know about uh, uh, a hair, how that's constantly falling out and some's being replaced. We know about skin cells. I read one time that uh, a certain percentage, I don't remember the percentage uh, of the dust that you find in your house is actually shed skin cells. Uh, yeah, that's kind of gross. I moved my refrigerator one, refrigerator one time. It was an arm and a leg under there. I tell you, it was, uh, that's not the truth. Uh, uh, but there was a whole lot of dust under there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> um, the human body then constantly, constantly replenishing itself. So many cells die because of infection. Many of them die through oxygen deprivation. Some just naturally reach the end of their life and self-destruct. Sometimes that process of the dying of the cells of our body and the replacing of the cells of our body gets messed up. We call that cancer. Cancer. Well, the church as a human body is much like that. We're constantly adding new people and sadly, uh, we're constantly losing people. Uh, some of them get promoted on to glory. Uh, there's joy in heaven, but the sadness we experience down here. Uh, people move away. Uh, sometimes people just move on. They decide to go somewhere else. Uh, maybe they get discouraged. Some just quit. People are often distracted. They just kind of drift away. But over time, the church changes. That happens. 
And that can be, by the way, either for good or for bad. And we were talking about the church as a body. Then the church is, is just constantly regenerating itself. There's new people that come in and, and, and other people that move. Around. There's a constant need then. If we're going to see the church grow and be healthy and strong, there is a constant need for the application of God's Word. That's what he pointed them to. The application of God's Word so that people can grow and then the church can grow. In our text then, there's describing this in several ways. As we look then at a spiritually grown-up church, First of all, it's going to be a church that speaks the truth in love. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Now, this calls on us to love one another with the objective then of creating growth. Over the years, I've told every pastor or church that I've ever pastored, that, and a lot of them that I'd go to and preach in revival, it doesn't matter how many people we add. We can run them off faster than we add them. And that's the truth. Now, there are times when people are attracted to a church and attracted to this church because we have a strong emphasis on the Word of God and, and the preaching of the Word of God and the preaching of the truth. But a lot of times I've seen that people who are initially attracted by the truth sometimes become offended by the truth. Uh, that's a two-edged sword. Uh, I'm committed to preaching the Word of God. And when you like it, I preach it. When you don't like it, I still preach it. I preach it till you do like it. That's my goal. I just want to keep on. Let it have that man. That, I didn't like that. Okay, let me preach it again. If it's the Word of God, the Word of God doesn't change. Amen? Amen. So who can change? We can change. There are times, though, honestly, when we can become harsh and cruel and critical to one another. Especially when we see people that maybe are not doing things the way they should, or maybe they don't believe things the way they should. We, it's easy to be critical and harsh. That's the natural uh, result of the flesh. A lot of times we end up not talking to people, but talking about them. And in a, in a church, it doesn't matter whether you're a church of 30 or a church of 300, word gets around. Word gets around. And so against all that childish sin and fleshly behavior that he warned about in the text, because remember he told us, don't be children anymore, but grow up into him and all things. That's what we're talking about. It is necessary then that we speak the truth in love. And that means that we love one another. We care about one another. When you look at that person sitting beside you on the pew and you look at this guy standing behind the pulpit and I look at you, we all are looking at somebody that Jesus Christ died for. And that makes them precious to God. When God brings people then into our church, they may need a lot of work. God may have brought them to this church because they need a lot of work. But guess what? We all need a lot of work. I need a lot of work. You need a lot of work. I've observed something as I get older. You know, about the time that you get kind of a sense, just a sense that maybe, maybe you're starting to get it all together. You put it somewhere and forget where you put it. <laughs> Man, I thought I had it. I did no, it's gone. I don't remember. Nancy, have you seen it? I mean, that's a, what did you do with it? I don't, it's uh, y'all have those conversations too. We all need a lot of work. 
And that means that we need constant applications of God's grace and word, the word of His grace, of His truth, and His grace. And we need that given in love. See, a a church that's a spiritual grown-up is a church that recognizes that every person God sends our way is precious to Him. And they need to be precious to us. And so we need to love them. Speak the truth to them, absolutely. But speak the truth in love. Spiritually grown-up church then also is joined and is knit together. Joins and knits together. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. It goes back to the image of the body. You see, cells are dependent in nature. They're designed to be a part of the whole, and they cannot exist in isolation from the rest. Bodily function and growth and survival requires that cells join and be knit together so that every single one has a way of binding on with others. Now, cells don't bind with every cell in the human body. That's not possible, although they're all related and they're all supplied by whatever parts does. Every one of us today uh, can be very thankful for our lungs, although you've probably not thanked God for your lungs uh, lately. Uh, But when you breathe in and you breathe out, you're exhaling carbon dioxide, you breathe in oxygen, and your cells love it because it goes to every single one of them. And without it, they'd all die, and you'd die with it. It's all supplied by what the lungs do. Most of the time, we're only really concerned about the lungs when they quit working. And we find out that there's no replacement parts, really, for the lungs. In the church body, we may not be connected to every single person in the body. But there is a constant effort on our part to know one another and build strong relationships with one another. I love those words, joined and knit together. Uh, My mother knitted, but she was much more fond of crocheting. And sometime when I was in high school, my mother crocheted me an afghan. Do you know what an afghan is? Think blanket if you don't know. It's a homemade blanket, afghan. And uh, that was in the 1970s, and I've still got it. In fact, it's hanging on the back of my couch, even as I speak. Uh, it has moved with me everywhere that I have moved. It moved out of my house in my teenage years, moved with me to seminary. It's moved everywhere that I have ever gone. It has been uh, uh, packed away for some time, and I always rejoice when I find it again. Oh, good, there's Mom's afghan. She made it just for me. It's multicolored. I always called it my afghan of many colors. If that makes you think I was my mom's favorite, I have always thought so. (laughs) Yes. She didn't make the rest of the kids an afghan. I'm just saying. Just saying. (laughs) Oh, I sleep with that uh, on top of me just about every night. Now, don't, don't call me Linus, okay? I don't carry it around with me all the time. But 40 plus years, and that thing is still together. It still looks pretty much like, as far as I can tell, it did the day Mom laid it on the couch and said, this is yours. Still keeps me warm, does exactly what it's supposed to do. But anybody that's ever done any knitting or crochet knows one thing. It can all come unraveled if you pull on the right string and keep pulling. 
joined and knit together. Things joined and knit together stay together for a long time. They, they can come unraveled. That's what we need as a church body. We need a healthy church body is joined and knit together. And they stay together then for a long time. A spiritually grown up church then speaks truth in love. It is joined and knit together. And then it works together effectively according, verse 16, to the effective working by which every part does its share. And a grown-up church, a spiritually grown-up church, is one where people are effectively working together. Now, the text describes this as a, a condition where every part does its share. And if you look around the ministry of any church, you will figure out real quickly that some people's share is a lot bigger than others when it comes to the work of the church. Some people share is a lot bigger than others. Some is more visible than others. What I mean by that is there are some people who do a whole lot and others who don't do as much. Part of that is explained by what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 48, where he said in his application of the parable of the unjust steward, unto whom much is given, of him shall much be required. Uh, talented people, gifted people, uh, people that God has equipped, graciously equipped, uh, who have gifts perhaps in multiple areas. Uh, yes, those people very often are found doing a lot of different jobs in the church. They're busy. They work hard. They work effectively. They're a big part of what goes on in this church and in any other church. Other people might not have so large of a role. And part of that could simply be explained by the fact that maybe they're not gifted. And it's tough. It's tough for gifted people sometimes because for them, you know, everything, come, these things come easy. If you're gifted at it, it comes very easy to you. Uh, some people are gifted in working with children, and they think everybody can work with children. No, they can't. No, they can't. It comes easy to you. You love it. Surely everybody can do that. No. Those choir singers up there, and they do such a good job. It just comes easily to them. It is natural. They use their gift. They think that everybody could sing. Man, we ought to have a whole choir just packed full and stacked five deep. Everybody could sing. Well, no. No, no, no. No, not everybody's gifted in the same areas. Some people's share may be small because that's where they are in the Lord. Some of them are new. Some are, are just doing all they can do. Some have gone on and the years have piled up and, and their time and energy levels are not what it once did and they're doing what they can do. Listen, God does not expect all of us to do the same thing. Because all of us are not gifted in the same way. And to give you a good illustration of this, you know, Ephesians chapter 5, later on the same book, Paul talks a lot about husbands and wives. I can tell you something that happens every time I preach on Ephesians chapter 5. When I'm talking about the women, the husbands are doing this. And when I'm talking about the men, the wives are giving it right back. 
And the wives pay a lot of attention to what God told husbands to do, and the husbands pay a whole lot of attention to what God told the wives to do, when what we need to do is wives start need to listen to what God told wives to do, and husbands need to listen to what God told husbands to do. We need to personalize this thing a little bit more. And when it comes to our share of the ministry of the church, if we're not real careful, we'll do the same thing. And we'll spend a lot of time thinking about, well, is this one doing their share? Is this one doing their share? Is that one doing their share? Is that one doing their share? Is that one their And you know what we need to be focusing on? Am I doing my share? Am I using the gifts that God has given me? Am I using my talents? Am I giving Him my time, my treasure? Am I making myself available to Him? Am I doing my share in the body of Christ. Great example of that is when the woman brought the alabaster box of ointment to anoint Jesus. And so many were indignant because they considered it to be an extravagant waste of resources. She gave a fortune, by the way, and poured it all out on Jesus. Now, Jesus summarized her work by saying, she hath done what she could. She hath done what she could. It was a pretty gifted crowd. Jesus and the apostles. This woman couldn't preach like the sons of thunder could preach. She, could, she couldn't be James or John. She couldn't walk on water like Simon Peter. She couldn't get out and raise the dead and cast out demons. She couldn't do those things that the apostles could do. What can I do for Jesus? That's what she asked. And Jesus is the one that gave us the answer. She has done what she could. When you and I stand before the Lord of glory, that's the only issue that's going to come up. Have I done what I could? Have I done what I could? And that's a big question for us all. Spiritually grown-up church then speaks the truth in love. is joined and knit together. They work effectively together as everyone does its share. And lastly then we see the result. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I could not even begin to tell you all of the churches or books that have been written on how to get churches to grow. Uh, you can go in any Christian bookstore that you can find still open and it will be full of books. It uh, has a whole section on the church growth department. Whole ministries and industries that built up. Uh, you can hire a consultant, pay them good money, and they will come in and go to your church for a month and then tell you what you need to do in order to build your church or to grow your church. I prefer to take Ephesians 4.16 at its word. That if a church speaks the truth in love, if they're joined and knit together and they are working effectively together, the church will grow. How does it grow? The church grows itself. The body grows itself. The church grows itself. We grow in size. If we gain more than we lose, that's a simple rule of thumb. We'll grow in size if we gain more than we lose. We grow in strength through exercise. There's really no other way. Church then that can speak the truth in love, that joined and knit together, works effectively together, will be a growing church. The body will build itself. 
Without those things, we become a church of the revolving door. I want our church to be a spiritually grown-up church. Going up in Him. And we can make that happen. And by we, I mean I have a part to play. But so do all of you. And the question is, am I doing my share? Let's stand together.